And Lord, it is our privilege, our honour to serve you, to, to worship you. Lord, as we come to, to read your words, we come to spend a little bit of time just this morning just meditating on what your word says. Father, we pray that you would just lead us and direct us by your spirit. Father, just open our ears, soften our hearts to receive from you. And Father, may we truly have hearts that are transformed by the Spirit of God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may or may not know, I am notoriously clumsy. Um, I, I've got a habit of, of breaking things. Um, I go through, I, I scratch my car pretty regularly. As you, I've had a, it's been cleaned up and repaired now, so it looks quite good at the moment. But uh, I have just this knack of... of being clumsy, I guess, and, and we, we, we had a, we had a, a lovely sort of dinner set. We got as a, as a wedding present, actually, at about 24 years ago, give or take, and we actually hadn't used it all that much up until the last 12 months, but over the last 12 months, we have used it virtually every single day, and of course, there's been consequences because of that. Um, that dinner set, that 12-piece dinner set, is now gradually decreasing in size. It was the, the lid of the sugar bowl went first. Now, Anybody can break a little sugar bowl, that's, that's easy done. Um, then the pepper pot was next to go, and then a few plates, followed by a few cups. And every time I break something, I want to make some excuse for it. I'm just sort of looking, there's a, there's a reason behind it's not, is it really my fault? I, I, I've even tried to suggest to Rachel that it is part of God's sovereign will and divine purpose. <laughs> she still blames me. The truth is, I am responsible for my clumsy actions. I, I do know that. But as we, as we heard last week, as Rob so ably um, spoke to us, we, we need to understand that God is God and that we are not. And up until verse 29 of, of chapter 9, Paul has actually been attributing the unbelief of most of the Jews to God's sovereign purpose. But now he identifies a different reason for their rejection of the gospel and their rejection of Jesus. And, and Paul moves away from talking about God's sovereign um, purpose to our human responsibility. So that's where we're going this week. Now we, I guess, we, we would have thought that the nation of Israel should have been eagerly expecting the coming of the Messiah. They should have been prepared to receive him. After all, God had been preparing his people throughout the Old Testament, through the, the prophecies, through the obedience of the law. These things should have led them towards Christ. But most of them were not ready when he came. In fact, they rejected him when he came. So if you open your Bibles... We're in Romans chapter 10, verse 30. I'm going to just pick up where Rob left us last week. Verse 30 says this. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that should lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I am laying 
in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Beginning of verse 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And just like last week, there's something a little bit controversial going on here in what Paul is is saying. You see, it was Israel who knew God, and it was the Gentiles who were far away from God. Every self-respecting Jew knew that, they, they understood that. Or as Paul puts it, it was the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. They made no effort to seek after God, but it is the Gentiles who have now obtained a right standing with God by faith. However, by contrast, Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, so at face value, these guys are doing everything right. They're religious. They're, they seem to be seeking after God, but they have missed the mark. They have not obtained it because they think that their hard work is actually better than faith. They try on their own strength by their own ability to be righteous, and they have failed big time. They rejected the faith-based righteousness and they've tried to please God by this work-based righteousness. And in doing so, they have, they've, they've missed putting in place the very foundation stone that everything else is built upon. So in verse 33, Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. And both Paul and Isaiah are referring to Christ as God's stone of salvation. And listen, what should have been the greatest blessing had become a stumbling block. Jesus, the Messiah, should have been the absolute greatest blessing to this nation. But actually, they had rejected him and they were going further away from God. Jesus is the only sure foundation that you can build your life upon. You remove him, you dismiss him, and your life will crumble and fall. And you have a choice to make. In fact, the same choice that Israel had to make is what kind of righteousness are you going to follow? Are you going to try and depend on your good works, on your self-effort, or do you trust in Christ alone for your salvation? See, only one of those choices is going to guarantee you heaven, and I'll give you a clue. It's not about you. You must trust Jesus and receive by faith his righteousness and you must decide you have a responsibility in this you're responsible for your own actions and the bible sets out these two apparently contradictory truths alongside each other so firstly god is completely sovereign over all of history including our salvation we heard all about that last week in verses in chapter 9 verses 1 to 29 god is sovereign He's in control. But secondly, every human is completely responsible for his or for her own behavior. That is what Paul is saying in these few verses we've just read. And and Paul is showing this paradoxical relationship between God's sovereignty and our human responsibility. So in one breath, Paul is explaining 
the 100% sovereignty of God. And a moment later, he's telling us that we are completely responsible for our own behavior. But nowhere in the Bible are we told to choose between these two truths. Both are from God and both are part of God's plan. And they don't compete with each other. In fact, they cooperate. Like the rails of a gospel train track, they run side by side towards glory. See, it's God's wonderful grace, it's his marvellous provision, it's his sovereign plan. God chose to bless you. Note, he doesn't bless you with your goodness. You don't, you don't have goodness. It's with his goodness. God irresistibly draws you to himself. And this was done before the foundation of this world. It was because, and, and, and not something that you ever deserved. God chose you in Christ. And in a sense, you're not free. After all, God chose you, not the other way around. However, you do have a will, you do have a choice, and that is clearly recognised in Scripture. Apart from God, your will is actually captivated by sin. You tend to want to do selfish things that take you away from God, but you are able to choose God because God, in his sovereign plan, has made that choice possible. John 3, verse 16, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You have a choice to make. Do you choose Jesus? Do you reject Jesus? You do have this responsibility, this decision to be made. However, at the same time, the Bible is just as clear that no one receives Jesus as saviour who has not been chosen by God. And these two statements seem like a contradiction. And to be fair, down through church history, there has been much debate and controversy, many attempts to try and bring these two ideas together into one, one thought. Listen, they don't come together. You try to pull them together, you're going to end up compromising either one truth or the other truth. I really believe the only right understanding is somehow to live with the tension and the mystery of all of this. In fact, the fact that they, they don't, we, we can't um, fully understand how they work doesn't mean that they don't work. When Charles Wesley was asked how he could reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility, Spurgeon replied, I never try to reconcile friends. And you must take, in fact, we must take our responsibility seriously. And at the same time, we must not undermine God's sovereign election in choosing and calling you. And as we, as we hold these two truths in the tension that they rightly deserve, we, we're led with two conclusions. First of all, it is God's actions alone that saves someone. Secondly, it is because of people's rejection of the gospel that they are lost. The 20th century pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. We are responsible for our rejection of the gospel, but we are not responsible for our acceptance of it. You see, every step of your journey to saving faith is under God's sovereign control. 
As we get into the beginning of chapter 10, Paul goes on to give us a lot more detail about our responsibility. He gives us several reasons, in fact, why people actually rejected Jesus. He's specifically speaking to the nation of Israel, but actually it applies to, to all of us. The first reason is this, that they did not feel they needed salvation. They did not feel the need for a saviour. And Paul is, of course, speaking partly from his own experience because early in his life, he was certainly opposed to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. However, when he dramatically met the risen Jesus on the Damascus road, everything changed. However, for the majority of the Jews, Jesus didn't quite fit into sort of their idea of what salvation should look like for, the, for, for Israel. They wanted a political salvation from Rome. Sorry, they wanted to be saved from Rome in a political way. But they didn't actually feel the need for spiritual salvation from their own sins. And I guess people still make the same excuse today for not following Jesus. Now, we can easily think that I don't need Jesus. I don't really need what he has to give. Or, you know, I want to do things my way and live in my way. However, if we reject all, if we reject Jesus, we reject all that God has got to offer us. And there are many people who would like Jesus to to bless them, to comply with their way of thinking. But Jesus is God. He is sovereign. And he will not do things according to your plan or in your way. Instead, you need him. You need his forgiveness. You need his mercy. You need his grace. Listen, we come under his authority, not the other way around. You need Jesus. The second excuse or the second reason why people rejected Jesus, Paul says, is that they were zealous for God. Now, that's a, a bit of a strange one because Israel certainly could not have been faulted for their enthusiasm or for their zeal. In fact, the Jews were so zealous that they even improved on God's law, or so they thought. They added their own traditions, their own rules. But there's a big problem with zeal. Zeal, that is, zeal must be based on biblical Knowledge. It needs to be based on God's word. And zeal that is not based on gospel truth will actually stop you listening to Jesus. It will stop you thinking things, thinking things through. In fact, I want to blow out of the water any idea that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere about it. That's very much the thinking of our world today. But actually, it does matter. Truth matters. Many people today make exactly the same mistake that Israel was, has made. They think that their good um, deeds, their, their good words, are going to save them. In fact, as long as I'm zealous, as long as I'm passionate about pursuing God, or at least trying to work in that direction, then, then, then well, that's all that matters. Don't all roads lead to heaven? Listen, they don't. There's certainly many people who are devoted and sincere but sincerity will never save anyone. Being sincerely wrong doesn't make you right. In fact, Paul says zeal, placed in the wrong thing, can actually lead you further away from God and further away from Jesus. The godly Presbyterian minister Robert Murray McShane was giving out tracts one day. He, was, he handed one to a very well-dressed lady and she gave him a rather haughty look, but disgusted really, and she said, Sir, you must not know who I am. 
In a kind way, McShane replied, Madam, there's a day of judgment coming, and on that day, it will not make any difference who you are. And my friends, listen, there is only one way to God. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. You need to know Jesus. Paul now turns his attention to Moses and he really just wants to further emphasize his point. And it's through Moses, of course, that God had given his people his law. And Paul's point is that Israel was deliberately rejecting the gospel. They weren't just simply ignoring it. So let's pick up again in verse 5. You turn again to your Bibles, chapter 10, verse 5. And it says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what it does say, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And in in these few verses, Paul quotes from Moses. But but Moses is not saying that we need to live by certain commandments or in, in order for us to be righteous. This is actually the way that Israel itself was living. But you see, all of the sacrifices, all of the priesthood, the, the religious festivals, the, the covenants, they were actually all pointing to a need for a saviour. Instead of, instead of um, letting the law bring them to Christ, however, Israel was starting to worship the law and actually reject Christ. And the law has only ever been a signpost. It's only been there to point towards Jesus Christ, but they had misunderstood this. And the law, see, the law cannot give righteousness, but it leads us to a saviour who will give righteousness. And, and Paul then goes on to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and you notice in your, in, in your Bibles that Paul then adds little, in, in brackets, his own little explanation at the end of each of those quotes. And to understand Paul's point, perhaps we need to, really understand what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 1 to 14 but I'm not going to read all of it because of time but let's pick up in verse 11 that says this for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you neither is it far off and this is God himself speaking God is speaking through Moses to his people verse 12 it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to the heavens for us? This is what the Paul's quoting. Who will ascend to the heavens for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And what Paul and Moses are actually saying is the same thing. Moses wouldn't have fully understood it, to be fair. He certainly wouldn't have understood the depth of the prophetic word that he is giving at this moment. But they're talking about a righteousness that is by faith. 
In other words, faith knows that we don't need to do anything in order to be righteous. And, and what Paul then does in his little brackets is he substitutes the word Christ for the word commandment. So the commandment or, or God's word means Jesus Christ. And God's word is both fulfilled in Christ, but also is Christ. And he tells us that God's way of salvation was not difficult, it's not complicated. In fact, you don't need to scale into the heavens because Jesus Christ has already left heaven and come down to us. Nor do you need to deal with your own sin in death. Christ has already done that as well. He died on the cross, but the resurrection is proof of his victory over death. And the sinner does not need to perform difficult works in order to be saved. All that they need to do is put their trust in Jesus Christ. And faith knows that naturally we will stray away from God. Faith knows that we deserve curse and punishment, but that God is the one who changes the heart. He enables us to love him. He is the one who gives us life. And this does not require the impossible from us but requires our mouth and our heart to respond to him. See, outward obedience is not enough. You need to believe in your heart. And the emphasis of Deuteronomy and Romans 10 is on the heart. The inner spiritual condition of the heart is what will produce the outward acts of obedience. That's why Paul goes on, chapter 10, verse 9, because... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What a wonderful statement. Goes on, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And your mouth and your heart should be saying the same thing. Your mouth will declare what you believe with your heart. And Paul's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In fact, he quoted exactly the same verse just at the end of chapter 9 in verse 33. And he wants us to know, in fact, without any shadow of doubt, that salvation is by faith. When you believe with it, with all of your heart, you receive God's righteousness. It's given to us through Christ. And the joy of this should mean that we should not be able to keep quiet about it. We should, it should burst out of our mouths. It should be something that we should be telling everyone. Because a faith-based righteousness, it changes you. It changes your heart. It will then change the way in which you speak. So when foul or disgusting language comes out of your mouth... You should be worried what's going on with the heart. Really, you should. Because a heart that loves Jesus will be confessing Jesus as Lord. 
A heart that believes that God raised Jesus from the dead and saves you will produce praise. It will proclaim that Jesus Christ is King. Again, Paul again goes to another part of the Old Testament. You notice he's using lots of Old Testament, Testament references in, in here. This time it's Joel chapter 2, verse 32, to prove that salvation is open to everyone. A lot of us believe that, the, that, that this idea that, that salvation is for everyone is a New Testament thing. It's not. It's all the way through Scripture. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone receives salvation in exactly the same way, irrespective of their background or nationality or anything. There is no difference. It is only through faith in Jesus. This is the big message of Romans. Through faith in Christ alone. And and Paul is gradually building up this picture of the differences that there are between this law-based righteousness and a faith-based righteousness. Warren Weasby sums it up like this. He, goes, he, he does the comparisons and it's sometimes helpful. First of all, looking at the law-based righteousness, this is only for the Jews, but faith is for everyone. The law is based on works, but faith comes by faith alone. Law is about self-righteousness, Faith, this is God's righteousness. Law cannot save. Faith brings salvation. Law is about obeying the Lord. Faith says, call on the Lord. This is God's work. Law says, it leads to pride. Faith glorifies God. Now listen, which would you rather have? Why on earth would you want to go to a work-based Righteousness that you could never achieve, that can never save you, when Jesus offers everything by faith alone. We give glory to God through it. And then Paul, verse 14, chapter 10, verse 14. Question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how... Are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I've, I've heard this, this passage preached or certainly referred to probably in every missionary conference, convention, event that I've ever been to and rightly so. In verse 15, it's, it's based actually on Isaiah 52 verse 7 but also on Nahum um, chapter 1 and verse 15 and, and the background to this statement is that Nahum was speaking about the destruction of the Assyrian Empire. These were the enemies of the Jews. Now they probably are best known or familiar to most of us through the story of Jonah and the capital city of Nineveh. And God sent Jonah to this wicked city about 150 years before Nahum actually wrote these words. And God has patiently dealt with this city, with, with Nineveh. 
In fact, God showed real mercy, and we know the story of Jonah. Revival comes to that place, but now they have rebelled against God again, and now God's judgment is about to fall upon them. And it was this good news, yes, the good news of judgment, that the messenger is bringing to the Jews. The good news that God's enemies are going to be destroyed. And that is what makes the fate of the messenger so beautiful in this historic event. Then Isaiah uses the same statement for a future event. And he is pointing to the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. And the messenger with the beautiful fate this time is now prophetically announcing that God has defeated Israel's enemies and that the Messiah was reigning in Jerusalem. But what about back in Paul's day, back in chapter 10, verse 15, Paul is using exactly the same quote in the present, and this message of the gospel needs to be presented to Israel in Paul's day, but how are they going to hear? That's, the, that's Paul's dilemma, Paul's, how are they going to hear? Listen, it is only out of a transformed heart you speak only out of a transformed heart that you open your mouth and you proclaim Jesus Christ but what that proclamation is about is about a warning yes there's a promise of salvation but actually this is a warning a prophetic warning of judgment that is to come and we don't like to talk about hell we skip over it very quickly but we can't escape it in God's word There's a time of judgment that's coming on those who reject Jesus. And that needs to be talked about. People need to be warned. People need to know. But alongside that, we say, look, there's hope. There's hope through Jesus to all who come. All who call upon his name will be saved. But not everybody would obey Not everybody would respond to his word. So Paul goes on to quote from one of the great messianic chapters in the Old Testament, Isaiah 51 verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Again, we see something of the sovereignty of God in that statement. But God is able to save. What about today? What about in 2017? Well, just like in Isaiah's day, people, not everybody believes, not everybody responds to the word of God. In our day, things haven't really changed that much. But although this passage was directed towards Israel, it applies to all people all over the world. And that means that missionary outreach of the church should never decrease. If anything, it should be increasing. Listen, it means that we need to get out there. We need to be talking proclaiming Jesus. Remember, out of a transformed heart, we proclaim Jesus Christ. We have to. The Spirit is birthed. This should be doing something within us that should be coming, should be coming out. People cannot be saved unless they call on the name of the Lord and they cannot call unless they believed. Faith comes from hearing, so they need to be told the message And that means that we must both be sending people, but also be willing to go ourselves. Are we? What about our friends, our work colleagues, our family? Are we going? Are we proclaiming? 
we talking about Jesus? Last few verses, picking up at verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hand to a disobedient and to a contrary people. Now Paul comes to his final statement, his final case against Israel. And he says, there is no excuse for not believing in Jesus. He gives two reasons. He says, firstly, they have heard the gospel. Now you could argue, of course, well, have they really heard? Have they, have they really understood? Well, Paul's reply to that comes from Psalm 19. Because he says, God has revealed himself to the world in two ways. Through creation and through his word. And both of these things proclaim the glory of God. And Paul's argument still remains true today because if you have seen the wonder of God's creation, if you have access to the word of God, you have no excuse. All of creation is pointing to a creator God. Listen, in the UK we have got such unlimited access to the word of God. Most people are beyond excuse, Paul would say. In fact, the very words of Jesus sort of hang in the air. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says you've been warned. The second thing he says that Israel understood the gospel, but they rejected it. They had actually disobeyed what they'd understood, what they actually they had claimed to want. And again, they are, there's no excuse for this, Paul says. Unlike the Gentiles who had found what they had not been looking for, the Jews sought after God and they rejected him. But listen, even here we see something of God's incredible, marvelous grace at work. Because part of the reason that God sent the gospel to the Gentiles was actually to provoke Israel to jealousy. An act of grace, both to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews. But also the foundation of the radical message of Christianity, that everyone and anyone can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The result of God's people, the result of God's people rejecting Jesus is that Israel is truly without excuse. Now, it'd be very easy for Paul to try and make excuses for his own people. He doesn't even attempt to do that. Listen, we sometimes just need to stop making excuses for people. It's their background. It's, it's the challenges they've had to face. It's, it's, it's whatever. We need to be praying. We need to be telling people. We need to be warning them that they need to be saved. But you also need to know that God has not given up on his people. God stretches out his arm of love to everyone. 
Don't be mistaken. See, God's favour to the Gentiles did not change his love for the Jews. And the message of the cross is of a saviour who loves you, irrespective of your nationality, of your background, of anything. The message of the gospel is simple. Everyone who comes to Jesus will be saved, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor. And God certainly has not given up on the nation of Israel yet. As we discover as we come into chapter 11. But that's for another day. For today, I want to ask you to think of two things. First is this. Have you accepted Jesus as Lord of your life? Listen, Jesus wants all of your heart. He wants to give you to give yourself completely over to him. He wants you to call him Lord. Will you respond to him? Will you receive him? But also a heart that is being transformed by Jesus Christ through faith alone. It will mean that from that heart you will want to be proclaiming. You'll be wanting to tell other people. Your mouth should be following the example of your heart as you respond to Jesus Christ. You'd be telling people. So this week I want to encourage you to be speaking out about the Lord Jesus Christ in schools, in colleges, in your workplace. That you would bring Jesus Christ into every situation, into every circumstance that you go into. That you truly would be giving honour and glory to the one who alone deserves all honour and glory. Listen, he is worthy. And he has called you. He's called you to transform your heart, that your heart may change the way in which you speak, that you may declare the wonder and the majesty and the glory of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control of every situation in circumstance lord thank you you have called us that you've chosen us to follow you and lord i want to pray lord that through the work of your spirit that you'd be continuing to change our hearts that we would respond to the message of the gospel that our hearts truly would be passionate for you alone thank you that we don't have to work for our salvation but it's by grace through faith in Christ alone that we are saved that our heart has been transformed and Holy Spirit I pray that you would continue to do a deep work within each one of us and in your presence this morning that you would equip us help us to be witnesses help us to be the example that we ought to be for those who do not know how will they hear unless we tell them Lord, change our hearts that we would take this message, this good news, this gospel to those that we meet this week, to those who do not know, to those that need to hear. Lord, use us for the glory and for the honour of your name, we pray. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.